on set. Oh. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk. You Oh, here we go. Let's get fired up. Let's get fired up. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how it goes? I don't know. Episode 139, the focus and getting things done episode. Man, Let's you know, get fired up. Did you know when you were reading that, I was holding my breath too. <laughs> that one came from the diaphragm. That one came from the deep from the bellows. <laughs> That's right. If you're listening to this, that means you are listening to the unspoken word Native American podcast. Hey! And of course, you probably, you know, if you're a regular listener, you probably noticed that we are missing a voice. One of the local yokels is not in the house for tonight. Uh, Mr. Josiah Mofia Mr. Pryor, Montana. Mr. Steal Your Lighter, XBIA Fire Fighter. <laughs> Steal Your Lighter. <laughs> Where did I get that from? <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> but anyway, um, only yeah. you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> yeah, it's a steal your lighter. <laughs> I bet you Smokey Bear has a whole bucket full of dog. Yeah, confiscated dog, lighters. Dog, they probably have like uh, the bears probably have like this lighter necklace. Hey, lighter necklace. <laughs> yeah. instead, of, instead of claws. <laughs> no, yeah, instead of claws or like instead of the turquoise bro, the, the bears got like lighters. Hey, lighter necklaces. Matches. Some, some made out of stick matches. M- matches are the pricey ones. <laughs> the hard to get. <laughs> the diamonds. <laughs> I don't got anything, but I got these matches, bro. I got these matches. I could trade you for these matches. <laughs> what do they mm. call them? Strike anywhere? Give your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, a freaking <laughs> a matchbook necklace. <laughs> <laughs> If you really wanted to sway with them, you really get the stick matches. Get the stick matches, and they still got still in the fresh box. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Mister Josiah Mohugs, he's in. Uh, I was almost say Mesa. Tempe, Mesa, Mesa, Arizona, at the All Nations Run and Gun and Shooting Tooting Basketball Tournament or something like that. I the can't remember East Valley. Uh, is that what it is? Yeah. East Valley Name Basketball Mesa. Tournament? Yeah. No, not the East Valley Basketball Tournament, but that side of Phoenix. Oh, I thought you were saying the name. He say, sent us the flyer, and I, I read it, but you know I me, mean? I got short-term memory. Yeah, it's like a big Native uh, native basketball tournament, because I got a cousin that drove out there with his team, traveling basketball team. Cool, man. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where he is. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should text him and see if we can give us a call while we're... Well, on the air. On the air. But without further ado, so I, oh, we did want to talk about that. Um, did you watch that video that he sent? Yeah, the underground thing? I didn't get a chance to watch it. I mean, I. Okay. I haven't, I don't even know. But the underground thing, like, <laughs> I know I texted him back and said, fake news. But, um, yeah, they got those in Haber. Wow. And you can take a tour of them. Remember, I was telling you that they have tunnels underneath Chamawa too. Yeah, like real back rooms hidden and stuff. Um, when they actually open that uh, like portal to get in there. Yeah, like you, you could. Okay, hold on, time out. 
Dog, which is like, yeah, I don't know, man. What do you think about that? Um. So, yeah, we just took a second. I just watched the video, and I don't know. It's it's almost, you know, it almost seems like it's not. it can't be real. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, in the video, he's walking down these stairs, and he goes around a corner, and then the hallway or whatever this tunnel thing is yeah. just keeps on going again. Yeah, and then he goes down those stairs. And then he takes another corner, and he's looking both ways, and it just looks like one long tunnel. But there's lights down there. Dog, which is, like, crazy. Okay, so, right before winter, now, you know how that weird season, like, between fall and winter? Yeah, I guess so. Well, it was, like, one of the last sunny days, right? Like, and we were out at Pioneer Park, and there was this older gentleman... He's like, hey, he kind of made friendly conversation with us, and he ended up like owning one of those houses across the street on, you know, um, you know, Pioneer Park. Yeah, those nice houses up on top. Oh, on top of the hill. Yeah. Okay. But he just bought one like a year before, and he was talking about his house has a cellar. I guess that those group of houses, like they have bunkers, bro. Like wartime bunk, like you know what I mean, like for World War Two. Oh, like, like they had built. Like, um, what do they call it? Like a fallout shelter or whatever? Yeah, they have a fallout shelter, and, and it's freaking, like, powered. It has, you know. Damn. Like, it, it, he said that it's, you know, they, they still got, yeah. That's crazy. But that was one of the things that intrigued him about the house, and he's a local doctor. And so that's why one of the, one of the that's selling why, points. Yeah, huh? that's why him and his wife had purchased it. They're already, they're in there freaking, they're ready to go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not, not like that, bro, but like. <laughs> You know they're on the horizon, bro. The sun's setting. They're on the downslope. Yeah, bro. Like you know, the sunset. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound callous, bro. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go go ahead. But <laughs> yeah, like they're you know they're older and they're enjoying their retirement, you know. And but that was one of the key selling points. Was the 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 bunker, huh? Yeah. That's bananas. I do know, I, I think, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but like on in New York or in those older cities. Yeah. So instead of like tearing down whatever and, and, and building something else there, they just built over the top of it. So there's like layers of it. Like, like even underneath, you know, the subway, you think yeah. it's underground, but there's things underneath there too. Dog, did you see that presidential subway? Which one? In One of the Roosevelts was like paralyzed, like he was a. Um, oh, oh, oh! I was know it Franklin D. Roosevelt? I think so. Yeah, that he like couldn't walk, or he had like polio or something. Yeah, he was in a wheelchair. Yeah, he was in a wheelchair, but he didn't want the public to know. Okay. So like all the pictures were like. Oh yeah, because even back then they wouldn't. Uh, I mean, you don't really have cameras and stuff. You can't follow him around. So they. Yeah, didn't. he didn't want people to have like a negative view of him, but so like all the camera angles and stuff were like from. You know, above the waist and everything. Yeah, because he had this, and, and because he was handicapped. And what they, what the city of New York did, or the United States did, was they actually built a freaking secret rail line under the subway line. Like, I don't know if it's under the subway line now. I'm kind of getting mixed up, but like, yeah, they built like a special bunker, bro. Like into like this train. Like it was all like bulletproof, like bombproof. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like into this train car, like, and then it goes in there. And then in there is like his vehicle, and then it goes up, and then out into the kind of like some James Bond type stuff, huh? 
Bro, yeah, like some real freaking <laughs> spy type stuff. I did hear that there's one somewhere, I think, it, in Nevada, and it goes north somewhere. Yeah. Like it's underneath Area 61. I could I could be wrong like in, in the actual location, uh-huh. but there's one they said that goes straight from Nevada to somewhere in California, like a straight line. Wow. Like a supersonic one that can get there in just like no time at all. Probably a... Well, I just drove that road recently, and it's probably from, like, Reno or Vegas to Sacramento or somewhere. And and when if you ever, like, when you drive through there, right, you notice that there's nothing around there. Dog, that is a scary highway. I think that's the number one scariest highway. What do you mean? You know that two-lane highway between Elko and Sacramento? Okay. So, like, man, it's just this, like, straight road, bro. Like, it's like a... Well, it's an interstate, you know, going both ways and stuff, but they say that it's one of the most dangerous highways in America because people that uh, break down there, women. There's nothing there? Yeah, nothing there, and the predator is, like, just out there watching. Oh, man. You know? That's bananas. I know uh, um, when I used to live in Arizona, I don't know if I told you, I probably told you guys this, but... uh I used to go to school at the school that my dad taught at. I didn't go to school in uh, Sells, Arizona, where we lived. Yeah. Um, there was another one called San Simone, and it was, I want to say, about 35, 40 miles away. Yeah. But there's this one stretch straight through that Sonoran Desert, and it's like 18 miles without one curve. Wow. And you, as soon as you get on that last little curve, it just goes straight through the desert, dude. Like no turn at all. And it seems like it would go forever, and it was... That was the longest, boringest commute I ever had. Like, and uh, our our old PE coach back in the day when I was at going to that school, he used to be a BIA cop out there, and he said, "Yeah, they'd go on investigations and stuff out in the desert." And he said, "The things that you would find, wow, out there, you know, like obviously you're gonna find uh, bodies and stuff like yeah. that." And then he, he you know, he he kind of didn't go into too much detail. Because, I, you know, we were just kids. He was talking yeah. to a bunch of kids. But I got the impression that he's seen, they've seen things that you can't really explain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know there's an Air Force base right there. And one night, I told you this one too, didn't I? Like we were, we were just got done playing ball at the the courts, which is in, in the, where the elementary school is. And then there's a basketball court there. And we just got done, so we were over at the playground part, and then was laying on these tire, kind of this tire obstacle course thing. Yeah. And these lights, they were kind of in a V shape. They weren't connected. There was must have been about seven altogether with one in the point. You know how like geese fly? Yeah. Like if these geese were, fl- but it was, it was like barely even like hovering, like, and it was making, it wasn't making any noise, and it was just right there. Like, you know, you can tell your kind of space kind of perspective. Yeah. It seemed like it was just right, like right above us. And it was barely even, it was moving, but it was barely even going. Dang. These lights and they were just kind of like in that V shape. Yeah. And we just kind of watched it and it just kind of drifted off. And eventually they just, you know, like those lights just dimmed and it, we didn't hear anything. You know, like when planes go over and they're just loud, you know, those jet engines and stuff. Yeah. This one had no noise. Like, at all. Wow. So. Do you think that defeated, like, what is it called? Like, supersonic? 
Well, yeah, I mean, no, because supersonic is fast. This looked like it was, it looked like a boat in the water. Yeah, no, what I'm, man, yeah, I don't know what I was trying to say. Like, going so fast, like, it looked like it not moving. Oh, I don't know. Huh. I don't know what that's called. I've never heard of something like that. It's a Randyism. I just came up with it. Oh, okay. Well, you can see. If like, gonna... 79% of people don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> Put me in that 79%. Bro, you lost me. Yeah, I know. I lost myself. Are you really sitting here? Yeah, no. Like, you're all serious, too. Like, no, but, yeah, no, I was thinking, though, like, is there a thing, like, well, supersonic is, like, breaking sound barrier, right? Yeah. But that's kind of what I was thinking, like, going so fast that you couldn't hear it, but I didn't realize, like, it was, like, floating. Yeah, it was just, maybe we could see the lights, and they were just basically kind of, the way you would see, like, a... a Boat on a lake. Yeah. Just kind of barely floating along. Like just cruising. Yeah, just cruising. And it, when we got to see it for at least five, ten minutes. Well, I don't know. Ten minutes is a long time. But, you know, it was definitely a while. Yeah. And we sat there and checked it out. And I don't know. I, to this day, I, but, you know, you tell people that. And they say, oh, it's probably those, uh, that Air Force base that's nearby or whatever. Dog, it's probably UFO. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the UFOs that they were? Was it uh, was it here in Billings? When, dude, I don't know, but there was this thing circulating on the internet this week. Like it, it looked like a kind of what are those one like those fish on um shark tails? Remember the ones with like the oh, like a jellyfish, like a jellyfish almost looked like, huh? Yeah, like a it. it they kind of looked like a they have video. Man, I can't. Yeah, let me see one. Hold on, let me see if I can pull it up. Because I remember, like, about a month or two ago, they had that explosion that that the authorities didn't know about or they didn't see it. But that lady had that. Here in Billings? Yeah, yeah. that lady had the cell phone footage. But it um, seemed like nobody official, like, I don't know, who would be the the police or, you know, any kind of government officials said, no, they were, we didn't see anything. Yeah. But she had the video. Unless that was a really good hoax, like something in February, it looked like something popped and fell. Yeah, like they leave those smoke trails. Yes. So I don't know. And now I can't. Uh, Let me see Montana recently. Huh? Uh, welcome to the vague show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys, bear with me. I'm, looking, I'm Googling something right now. But that was awful vague uh, search criteria. Oh, no, I go UFO sighting Montana recently. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was Montana like, recently? Yeah, because I was like, okay, UFO <laughs> sighting in Billings. And then what? it brought up the one that you were talking about, like oh. on February. Uh, oh, it was in February. Huh? Yeah, February 23. And then there was also another one in uh, January 22nd or January 22. Yeah. So, but I, I've seen a number of things, a few things that I can't quite get. Like, um, I was telling Josiah, uh, I was with his brother, his older brother uh-huh. and another one of the homies. And we were, we, again, we just got done playing ball at night. Yeah. And I pretty, and I remember it was, uh, prior was dead because it was sneak a peek night. Yeah. At the Billings Fair. And so there was nobody there, and we, we weren't at Sneak-A-Peak, but we just got done playing ball, and we were sitting in my truck. And 
I don't know. We're just kicking back, BSing and stuff like that. And then there's like ball. It looked like a ball, like a, like a ball of light. It like that. What is that? That's a ball of light, bro. In Florida. Yeah, but see that one has like a little tail. What is it doing? Dog, it like broke off. Like broke apart. Kind of like fireworks. What the heck is that? Yeah, bro. That's a. Uh crash landing in vegas uh, oh hey speaking of vegas did you see that one where they said they saw the people like 10 foot tall people running around outside their house yeah bro so like check this out right here this was on june 8th and he's on the ground in the las vegas backyard where an unidentified object landed and the residents claimed that eight to ten foot tall creatures were seen bro like there's a literal Footprint of the vehicle. Here, bring it a little closer. I gotta. Oh, the like a like a circle where it landed, huh? Yeah. Hit or did something like that. Like that's where it landed, and that's where the ten foot tall, eight to ten feet tall creatures came out. So, does it say how big that circle is? Doesn't say. There's really nothing for like size perspective in there. Yeah. That's bananas. But like I said, like I was saying, you know, we were we were there, and then this ball came out like to the right of our 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 view. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, like, you know, when something kind of rushes up on you? Yeah. And then it stops, right? But it was still kind of kept going and it floated in front of us for maybe not even a full second or two. Yeah. And then it did the exact opposite. It looked like it, it looked like it took off and it like disappeared in like this little. Wow. Like, you know, okay, so we're talking about fireworks, right? You remember when you shoot a bottle rocket and you can tell when it shoots off, it, how it takes off? Yeah. You can see the light leaving, uh, going away from you. Yeah, that's how it looked, and I I remember saying, "Oh wow, did you guys see that? Did you guys see that?" And one of them saw it, and the other one didn't. I can't remember which one was which because one of them was paying or wasn't paying attention. Yeah, and I don't know what that was either. It was right there in prior, like just on. So the basketball courts are right at the edge of town. Yeah, and then, um, kind of near that. You know where the old clinic is, right? That old timey clinic uh-uh. way back in the day. You know, you okay? So the new clinic. You've been there. Yeah. And then, like, if you're going towards, uh, if you're on, you're just pulling to Pryor, you go through town, and then where the forestry is. Yeah. That next building over used to be the old clinic. Oh, wow. That old blue building. Uh-huh. That's where the old uh, IHS clinic was. Okay. And it came from, like, it seemed like it came from over the top of that or came from that direction. Yeah. And then it went off toward, like, where the high school would be. Because we were at those courts there, parked, facing west. Okay. Towards that building. Yeah. That IHS building. And it I don't know what it was. I to this day I don't know what it was. And I've been meaning to have Josiah ask his brother if he remembers about that because you know, I can't be the only one. And then I sound crazy or crazier than I normally sound. Right. You know, well, I guess that's kind of is kinda it is whoop, whoop, <laughs> out there. <laughs> I can't make that sound. How do you do that? What's like a whoop whoop or like a yeah, 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 like that, bro. <laughs> yeah. You like my whistle? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Is that what that was? <laughs> Cuz I know how to do the basic whistle, but dog, I can't do like the like the fancy one? Yeah, the fancy <laughs> one's the. <laughs> hey, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh man. But how do? Oh yeah, we were talking about them tunnels. So. Yeah. Oh, but oh, I, and when I was telling you about the ones in uh, Chamawa, mm-hmm. I don't think those are like like 
like tunnels like that with stairs and lights and stuff. And I'm yeah. pretty sure there's lights down there, but they had these like conduits and I think they might've been for water or electricity or whatever. And I think they're more of a service thing, but there were times when we'd be walking around campus and then you walk over, a um, like walk by one of those manholes. Yeah. And then you can hear somebody say, Hey, and we look down and there'd be kids down there. Oh, wow. But when they said, Dash, we go down there? And, and so you go through like this ax, this door, and it, it looks like a boiler room when you first walk in there, but then there's these stairs leading down. Yeah. And we went in there, and it, it was at night, of course, and so they, they walked down the stairs. And once I took a look and see, and it looked like that, only it had, it was only about maybe about five feet, maybe four feet. So yeah. basically you kind of had to walk kind of hunched over. And I took a look at where it was going, yeah. and it just kind of disappeared into this abyss. And I'm like, yeah, and you know what? I'm just going to go back up because I might have been uh, uh, partaking in some devil's lettuce at the time, <laughs> too. So that might have had something to do with I'll it. I tripped out. Huh? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going in there. I, I refused to do it. Dog, it's funny that you say that, bro, because the other night we had dinner at a, at a local establishment. And... um there was four of us, and a couple of them went to the restroom. But in my mind, bro, like, I remember over the weekend, I was looking at, I was looking online, and one of these videos, like, one of these things came on about Billings is, um, like, they were the horror stories, right? Like, not horror stories, but ghost, and uh, the top five buildings in Billings, and that establishment, I think, was number one, bro, and... Like, that's all I could think about when it was time to go to the bathroom because I was like, oh, where's the bathroom? Like, if it was upstairs, I would have been fine, like, using it upstairs. <laughs> but you had to go downstairs, and I don't know what it was. It was just like, bro, like, I couldn't go. I was you like. You couldn't or you didn't want to? No, like, I, I just didn't want to. Like, I couldn't oh. bring myself to go to the restroom because it was like, man, I had so much water that day too, bro. Like, you know? <laughs> And you really wanted to, but you just wouldn't do And it. I really needed to go, but, bro, like, I could not. Like, man, I just had, like, this ugly chills feeling, like. Yeah. I don't watch horror movies today, bro, like, because of stuff like that. Yeah, I, um, because there's been times, you know, like, like when you've been so freaked out, like, you just, you, you literally can't move. You just can't, like, function. Yeah. Like that, there's flight, flight, or freeze. Yes. And I've had a couple of those freezing freezing points too. And uh yeah, it's it's kind of a trip. But I remember one time I told you about this one too. Remember when I was chilling at my sister's when she lived behind the mission, Saint Charles Mission? Yeah. And I seen that plate kind of jump off the thing. Yeah. That time it was that was definitely flight. And I took off in the middle of the night, dude. And I, it's about a mile and a half, maybe two miles back to town. Yeah. And I walked back to my grandma's, dude, and by myself in the middle of the night. I'm like, no, I ain't going to chill Like here. two in the morning, you said? Yeah, it was like in the middle of the night, dude. Like, yeah, bro, that's crazy. And that's what I, like, okay, so let me ask the question, okay? Because I know somebody like this who is, like, scared. And this person is, like, scared of the dark. Like, doesn't want to be alone. But yet, hangs out out there at night. Okay. How is that possible? Okay, so from my perspective, like I'm not afraid of the, like I grew up out there and mostly in town, but uh -huh. 
later on it was you know we stayed what they call up the road which is out in the country yeah and uh i would walk all over the place but then again too like i was always tipsy or you know some kind of way and i'm not a really that doesn't bother me like walking around at night like i'd walk across to uh my brother's place his his is across the road and it's still maybe about a mile away but oh wow walking through and it's dark and yet and there's this one point where you go by the the creek there and there's um i don't know what kind of those trees are but it's kind of dense yeah just in that one spot they're not really trees they're more like big bushes yeah but it's kind of creepy right there, but I don't really, you know, I don't pay no attention to it because for one thing, I know that our livestock, you know, like our horses and stuff are out there and if they're chilling, then, you know, there's nothing to be too concerned about. They're like the dark, walking around in the dark or at night, that doesn't bother me. But when I see something that I cannot explain or like, what the heck was that? Uh, then, you know, like the hairs on my yeah, the back of my neck stand up and I'm like, okay, I don't get that. I don't understand it. So I'm going to go exit the situation uh but for me like i said a lot of times i was hammered anyway so whatever yeah. but uh and i used to get freaked out just walking from my grandma's house to my house and it was like literally like 300 yards <laughs> <laughs> Bro, i remember one time you ever watch that movie silver bullet uh, it's that old stephen king about the uh, kid in the wheelchair and he dog i don't watch scary movies at all like i, I remember watching it and that was it it's a werewolf movie Okay. And yeah, anyway, that that kid in uh he's in a wheelchair and he shoots that werewolf in the eye with a bottle rocket and then turns out it's the well, no spoilers. You can watch it. <laughs> but anyway, I watched that at my grandma Sarah's house and she only lives like probably about 300 yards from yeah. town. Like you can see the houses. You yeah. can hear people talking at their houses in yeah. in town. And it wasn't even dark, dude. It was like dusky, you know, like the sun yeah. was just about to go down. And I got, I, when I was just a little kid, I watched it with my cousin. And then uh, after it was over, it was like, okay, I'll, I better walk home. Before, or they told me, you better go back before it gets dark. <laughs> yeah. Like they couldn't give me a ride or anything. But anyway, so I started walking and it wasn't even dark. And I remember that movie and I was freaked out, dude. Like <laughs> I just had the heebie-jeebies all the way home. I, I, and I, I don't like um, werewolf movies because when I was a kid, uh, my older stepbrother, who was in high school, I think I was like in first or second grade, took me to Missoula to uh, a movie. It was American Werewolf in London. And on that one, the, the thing that got me the most was they like they show him changing into that wolf. And back then, those special effects were like cutting edge, <laughs> man. State of the art. Yeah, of the <laughs> art. And of course, I'm just this little kid. And after that, dude, I, I, was, I had nightmares. I couldn't sleep. I wow. wouldn't sleep by myself. We had a, uh, they had a two-story house, and the bottom part was kind of like, you know how it's sunk into the ground, but the windows, yeah. you can see the windows above. So the the windows are ground level. Yeah. And I swear I would look up into those little tiny windows and see somebody, like some glowing eyes or something. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I can't do werewolves anymore. Dog, that was crazy. Like, I don't know, man. I understand that. Like, because my grandma and grandpa were the custodians at Lodgegrass School. Okay. And they had a wing. Um, they would do uh, kind of like the middle school, not not the middle school. Well, yeah, they would. No, they wouldn't. Man, back in those days, like, Lodgegrass was happening, bro, like, and, and they had janitors for, like, each wing. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're K through third, K through second, third to sixth, and then seventh to eighth. Um, but my grandparents always did, like, third through fifth, third through sixth. 
they would do that that hallway and i remember like being there at night and i would not want to be alone like in the school yeah bro because like dog like like i'm saying like nothing would even happen but i would just get creeped like, out yeah like creep the hell out bro like they'd send me on little errands and i'd be like man like I wouldn't say nothing, but dog, I always hated going with them to school, bro. I wonder, I wonder what that is like. Maybe it's the fact that you're alone in a familiar place at a certain time of day, and it's, yeah. then it just makes it seem unfamiliar. I don't know what Man, that is. I don't Cause know because I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. Like, yeah, just listening to you, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be kind of creeped out. Dog, too. Like a dark hallway, like yeah, you know, like my grandparents are in there, just you know, they're working, and yeah. We'd go on little errands and stuff, and it was just like, man, it would always gave me the creeps. Yeah. That's, I think that's why I don't like, like, anything scary. I don't like scary. to be scared. I, I don't, I mean, there's certain ty- certain types of scary movies that I'll watch. Yeah. But, you know, like the ones where they're just over the top and just bloody and gory? I mean, those are kind of the, it's kind of, it's not my thing. I like the ones that, like, you know. Um, like are psychological, like you, they get in your head, dude. Like the sale, yeah. Oh, well, that one's all right, I guess. It was kind of weird. It's kind of hard to follow, but I mean, you know, like um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of one right offhand. You know, like okay, so when I first watched Silence of the Lambs, that gave me the the heebie-jeebies, bro. Okay, Clarice. <laughs> Are the lambs still crying, Clarice? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I remember, like, I think it was because, you know, it had to do with something that could happen, like, in yeah. real life. Like, you know, there could be serial killers out there, and, you know. Yeah. And so that one just, and they, they, they never really show any blood or gore or yeah. things, but they just got this dude that's supposed to be this Creepy. C- creepy killer guy in this plexiglass cell thing in this dank, dark, I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. I remember that one kind of tripped me out a little bit. But, you know, things like that is, that just kind of, because, you know, like, we, we've we all said this, me, you, and Josiah, is like we get into our heads a little bit. And yeah. I think that's what it does. It just kind of kicks off of that <laughs> spark of imagination. And, man, I'll take it to the next level, dude. <laughs> Right. Myself up. Oh, hey, speaking of which, I just got a text from Josiah, and he said he's on his way to the venue and he's going to try to call and check in when okay. he gets there. So, but uh, you want to go ahead and how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. All right. Let's uh, I feel like a hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so now you got to do the uh, what does he say? Hit me with the me. Do that yeah. part. DJ. DJ. Hit me with that beat. Okay. Ayo, let's get into our topic. Ayo, let's get into our topic. Okay, now it's time to kind of back up out of that creepiness we just got ourselves into. It's uh, got to shift gears, yes. as it were. Uh, Stop doing it. What? They're watching us. Why are we whispering? I don't know, but they're going to hear us. Shut up. 
<laughs> I don't know, but it's provocative and it gets to the native swing. It's provocative and it gets the natives going. It gets the natives riled up. So we were presented with a article from Indian Country Today. And I believe the title is Overdose Prevention. Take care of each other. And uh, it's about... A fella named Sam Rivera, who is the executive director of On Point NYC, an overdose prevention center. Um, and he is, gee, I hope I don't kill this right now. Anyway, I'll just read a couple of uh, paragraphs and we'll go from there. It just says, uh, when, and again, this is from in Indian Country Today. When Sam Rivera was a kid, he'd often visit his mom as she worked as a nurse in an emergency room in New York City, his hometown. She helped all kinds of people during her 40-year career, but Rivera took notice of some of her repeat patients who used drugs. I'm like, why are you going to keep helping this guy? He doesn't even want to help himself, he remembered asking his mom one day. And she said, my job is to help him until he's ready to help himself. Mm. Rivera not only changed his tune eventually, but now finds himself in a similar line of work driven by the same compassion his mother exuded when, she, when he was a child. He serves as the executive director of On Point NYC, a nonprofit that provides a wide range of services to people who use drugs in New York. His work with On Point NYC recently earned him a spot on Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, in the world for 2023. He was one of two indigenous people on this year's list, which also included sous chef Sean Sherman. Gee, say that three times really quick. Oh, Sean Sherman. No, you got to say the sous chef part first. Oh, sous chef Sean Sherman. <laughs> Sean Sherman. We should do that as like an exercise before we uh, go on air. Huh? I got you kind of warm up your... Sous chef Sean Sherman. <laughs> Could you even say it? How does Josiah do it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does he say? Blue blood, bleed blue blood. Yeah, I don't blue know. Blood, bleed blue blood. Yeah, I don't know. He has like a thing, remember? Yeah, that he says before <laughs> we go on anyway. But anyway, what uh, the, uh, the article continues, he says, uh, what, came up, what came up the most for me is like pride, not for me as much as for my people, Rivera, who is Afro-Tino, said of the recognition. And again, I hope I said that right. Uh, for all you non-natives out there, there are so many other different native nations that we ourselves have trouble pronouncing others' names. But yeah. hopefully I said that right. Anyway, <clears throat> back to the article. Uh, I want every brown kid in this world to realize that if a guy can do it, I can do it easily, you know? And the time recognition cites his impact on the community. It says, Rivera has pioneered an approach to help rather than abandon or simply jail, as we usually do. An estimated 7 million Americans with OUD, opioid use disorder, uh, wrote Beth Macy, author of Dope Sick and Raising Lazarus, Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis. Despite what the racist war on drugs told us growing up and despite archaic abstinence-only models that too many 12-step programs still push, Rivera's approach actually works to prevent death, hasten recovery, and restore humanity. And we'll pause there and, you know, just kind of collect our thoughts. Any, anything jump out at you? 
Um, not really. I'll go off. I'll go off of what I was reading this, but actually, <laughs> I clicked on that thing that says "read more." I don't know if you can see it, but I clicked on it and it took me to another page. Oh, so I kind of lost track of. Now you're deep into the web, or deep? No, into the like I'm not in it, but I lost where we were. Oh, okay. But anyway, yeah that that first part was just like a introduction. He um, uh, watched his mother work with drug addicts and asked her. You know, that was kind of amazing what she said. You know, my job is to help him until he he can help himself. Mm. And um, I mean, like, okay, so what are your thoughts on that particular quote? I mean, because. Like on one hand, you know, there's so many, there's, you know, there's that, that, that line of reasoning that says, you know, we can't help anybody that doesn't want to help themselves. Right. Yeah. Like we we can't do anything for them unless they want to do it themselves. But at the same time, like how are, how is a person going to know that they are valued, that they are um, loved as human beings, you know, that. How can you be show, uh How can you grow empathy if you've never been shown empathy? Yeah, that kind of thing. So, for me, it's like okay, that's a whole different take on it because you know my job is to help them until they can help themselves, and it's like it's kind of a, like a, a, a wow moment because you don't. I don't really think I never really thought about it like that. Like obviously, you know you. We're here to help others, right? I mean, yeah. that's our thing. That's that's our whole um, agenda. But I think for me, I I oftentimes fall into that black and white trap, that concrete thinking. It's either this or that. Bro, that, that kind of leads me into like a deeper discussion um, <clears throat> because of my experience. And I don't want to get personal, but it's like, we sign up for these particular roles in society, right? Whether that be a doctor, nurse, therapist, um, helpers. Yeah. People that really want to help. But there's this thing called compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And we were just discussing it at the, at the dinner on Tuesday, but compassion fatigue, I think for me, the way that I would explain it is when we get to a point where it's hard not to detach ourselves from that situation as a coping mechanism, as a way to escape the pain that we feel on a daily basis. Because at the end of the day, a lot of helpers are in the business of life or death, you know, ER doctors, yeah, um, things like that. Um, therapists, you know, licensed addiction counselors, like we're in this we're at the end of the day, it really is about life or death, but there always comes this point like where we feel and carry so much people's burdens that we automatically detach ourselves and we become robotic in the way that we operate. Compassion fatigue, which is why it's important that we take care of ourselves, but excuse me. But what I get from this lady, like her saying like, I'm going to help them until they help themselves. Like that's her job. She understood her role, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like she understood like her point. Like, so she still wanted to help. Um, 
But I think, like, for me, like, bro, like, I get, like, I do have, like, I did suffer from compassion fatigue, you know? Like, I, I it's not that I didn't care because I still do, and I still did, but it was almost like, man, like, at the end of the day, they're going to lose their life anyway, you know? It's almost like you get to the point where you say, what is the point? Yeah, and that's all, like, police officers and, and emergency room doctors and nurses and, and firefighters and... You know, they see these repeat offenders and, bro, they get downright rude, you know, mm -hmm. because they're suffering from compassion fatigue. And we've recently, I, I would say within the last 20 years, have brought mental health awareness to the forefront. A lot of things that we're talking about now, we weren't talking about 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Five years ago. Five years ago. Mental health, you know. Mm -hmm. but we see the need to fill our cups and I don't know where I'm going with this one, but like when I look at it, I'm like, man, this man saw his mother caring for people that she didn't know because of the heart that she carried. And because he saw it in action as much as he didn't want to be a part of it, bro. When he grew up to become a man, he actually followed in the footsteps of his mother. Yep. You know, because he saw it in action. And, and I think about it, Man, it's crazy because now my brain's moving, right? Go. My mother, bro, like Go. my mother, like she never, man, I would see her reading the Bible. I would see her like, man, just display this accent. Like my house was the home, like all the homies were welcome at the house. Yeah. You know, you got a bunch of little freaking punks. You know, not punks. I wouldn't say punks, but, you know, we didn't have nothing better to do in Billings, Montana, bro. So we, you know, got into all kinds of trouble. But all the homies knew that we could go home as long as we didn't start trouble. But I saw my mom, like, not being judgmental. I saw my mom, like, just caring. Like, like we even had cousins and family members that would come to the house and stay to get away from all the BS, you know? Yeah. But I saw my mom operate like that. And with as much hate that grew in my heart. Bro, at the end of the day, like, man, I'm just like my mom in terms of, like, caring, in terms of, like, loving people, like, almost to a fault. Yeah. You know, like, loving more than I should. Well, maybe not loving more than you should, but. Loving without boundaries. Well, without boundaries and then attaching your well-being to somebody else. Yeah. Somebody else's, uh, somebody else's well-being. Yeah. And I, I think that's codependency. I'm not sure. I'm not really. Yeah, but most drug addicts suffer from codependency. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, it gave me a heart for those, like, for, I don't want to say those people, but, like, it gave me a heart for a certain type of people. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when I think about it, too, like, seeing my mom, like, doing these spiritual acts and never really forcing it upon us. Like, that's what ministered to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So, in a sense, like, I'm the male version of what my mom was doing back then. You know, like, she always opened up her home, man. She always made sure that there was enough food for everybody. Man, my mom made miracles out of nothing. And I feel like our best meals were when we didn't have anything. But it wasn't just for us. Everybody that was attached to us knew that they had a meal at the house. You know what I mean? Yeah, and today that has a profound effect on how you treat others. Absolutely. Okay. Because it's like I learned 
that no matter where a person is in society, that they still carry value and that they are still loved, even if I don't see the people that love them. I know the person that created them, and he loves them, which changes my perspective. Nice. I get it. Crazy. I'm on board. That's for free, unspoken I'm, words. I'm on board. <laughs> so, <clears throat> okay, we'll move on with the uh, article here. Um said, the organization is perhaps most widely known for operating the nation's first two overdose prevention centers, where people can use their drugs in the presence of trained staff to minimize the risk of overdose. More than 107,000 people died of drug overdoses in 2021, the most in U.S. history, according to the Associated Press. Some studies suggest overdose prevention centers could help decrease death rates and disease transmissions. On-point NYC centers have been utilized more than 75,000 times since opening in late 2021, according to Rivera. Of those, there were about 880 overdoses and no deaths, he said. That's 75,000 times people would have been in the community using in public areas, maybe in parks, alleys, and public bathrooms, Rivera said. That's 75,000 times it happened in here. Instead, we took them away from the community. Rivera said he was first introduced to harm reduction work during the HIV movement in the 1990s, during which he volunteered to clean syringes to help reduce the risk of transmission. Rivera said he grew up knowing he was Puerto Rican, but as long as he dug deeper, but as he dug deeper over the years, he learned more about his Taino and African roots. Those cultural values and traditions have helped shape his approach to harm reduction today, he said. I suggest that we go as far back as possible and do what our ancestors did for years, which is take care of each other instead of punishment, Rivera said. <sighs> People change because they're loved on. People change because they're treated with dignity and respect, he later added. We're giving people a safe space to start to see themselves differently, and we're being able to engage with them while they're here utilizing our services is really amazing, and as a native, we say good medicine. And uh, that's the end of the the article. And wow, there was a lot in that last part. Um, but you know, like what I'm seeing here is like uh, the one that jumped out at me. Okay, let me find it here. But uh, well, actually, there was two things that I'm sorry. I'm looking for the. I want to read it again. Oh, okay. So I suggest, and this is his quote, I suggest that we go as far back as possible and do what our ancestors did for years, which is take care of each other instead of punishment. And uh, yesterday and today, I started listening to a, a, another podcast and they had this panel. How could you? How could you? You're cheating on this podcast again. I know, I know. I'm just a little podcast ho. <laughs> I'm a pothole. Pothole. <laughs> a pothole. <laughs> but uh, so they had this panel of people who were doing, you know, in the criminal justice system and talking about the war on drugs, talking about bail reform, talking about all these things that we've been doing for a long time, like years, decades, maybe even a century, and it's not working. Like, our, the drug problem now is worse than it was probably when they started doing this. And a lot of that has to do with um, the idea that 
if I catch you with drugs, you need to go to jail and stay there. Right? Like I, and I, we've always said, or I've always said that, you know, uh, addiction, you know, the act of using a substance isn't the problem. It's the symptom of a deeper problem. Yeah. And I think there, you know, he has the right idea is, you know, to take care of one another rather than punish people for their addiction and, and to get, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, nobody's going to go around saying, oh yeah, go ahead and use drugs as long as you're in front of me, you know, I mean, that that's a perfect opportunity, to, you know, you got them, you have them in your, 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 uh, your sights, so to speak. And they're using, but at the same time, you can talk to them, right? And you know that they're safe. They're not out. Uh, treating knows. them like a human. Yeah, treating them like a human. It's like Josiah says, bringing the humanity back into the equation. And that is, that's just amazing to me. Like, like, because on the surface, people are going to see, oh, you mean you just got a place for all these druggies to go and do their thing and blah, blah, blah. Like, they're villainizing these people. Mm-hmm. Rather than seeing what's really going on, like okay, um, you're gonna do it anyway, so why don't you come over here? Be safe, like be as safe as you can, you know, like while you're using while you're using opioids, um, and then you know maybe we can start addressing those things. And then like if somebody, like if if somebody had told me, you know, you're you're valued, you're you're you're. Uh, you know, you, you're something special. You know, we love you. I mean, my, obviously my family did. But even then, we have a way of kind of not, I mean, sometimes brushing it off, but also kind of changing that narrative in our mind. Like, oh, you're just saying that because you're my dad or you're my we mom. We diminish it. Yeah, we diminish the, the power of their words. But I think if if, if more, if I would have saw that, especially in the community, like, and it wasn't just me. I know there are a lot of res kids out there mm-hmm. who just did not feel like they were anything to be worthy. valued. Yeah, it was like they were, we were unworthy of anything. And I think that kind of action, you know, to say, okay, well, I don't want you to use, but if you're going to do it, do it here so we can watch you. You'd be safe. And then, you know, like, what did he say? 75,000 people didn't die? Mm-hmm. Or there was no, or there was overdoses, but there were no deaths. Eight hundred and eighty overdoses, but no death. And man, that goes along with everything that I've been um, saying lately. Like I believe in harm reduction because we'll never like it. Kind of goes with like the idea of like abortion too. Like you're never gonna stop it, but I can guarantee you that laws never transformed hearts. Just because they outlawed the use of drugs, it didn't make the drug user go, oh, man, you know what, man, meth is illegal now, man. So I guess I'm done being a meth addict, dude. Or, you know, or even... You know like, what I mean? like or, or like, okay, so you're talking about the laws, and, and to go along with that, like, um, they'd say, uh, okay, well, meth use, you'd get two years before the now we're going to give you 10. Yeah. And then that, that meth addict isn't going to say, oh, my God, I'm going to get 10 now. I better quit. I'm done. Yeah. No, that's that's not how it works. Yeah, and we and we've all seen that. So it it just like it's pointless, and and I like that I like that term harm reduction. Yeah, 
because you're reducing harm as much as you can because you're we're never going to stop people from using illicit drugs but what we can do is prevent them from dying by providing narcan or you know emergency responses you know yeah um to be there so we can be that's like being proactive instead of reactive it's like, hey, this guy's going to continue using, and I know that nothing I say can stop him from using, but what I can do is look out for his well-being, and I know that eventually he's probably going to overdose because that's what happened, you know, with fentanyl and whatever, you know? We know that that's what's going to happen eventually. So rather than react to the situation, be like, oh, man, he overdosed, like, and then look around for everything, things are already in place to prevent that person from expiring. And I feel like that's important. It it would be like if dog, it would be scary to me. Like if I was still addicted to meth and I went over there and you have this like harm reduction center, bro, I'd be like, dog, you gotta try to set me up. All right. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it would be uncomfortable, but then bro, I've been out there on the street with police officers and man, they, they've confiscated marijuana and I'm like, man, like, I remember, like, looking at him, taking, I'm like, dog, like, I remember, like, 15 years ago that getting caught with an eighth of weed would ruin my life. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. But today it's like, they're like, man, I don't care about that weed. Or driving around and then there's somebody with a high warrant and they're like, man, we can't even arrest them. You know what, man, you got a $100,000 warrant, but you got to go. You know, like, things, like, I guess they're, like, we're a little bit more lax nowadays than we used to be. But I believe that also, like, we, we see, like, if we can reduce a person's harm. I don't even know why I talked about the jail part. But, like, if we can <laughs> reduce the people's harm, like, it's like we're doing that person a service. Like, we're we're actually providing life giving services if that if you will mm-hmm. I, I guess that's what i would say is like we're actually putting things in place so that this person can recover if they choose to recover and see and not to get lost in all of this uh not so that this doesn't get lost i'll just go ahead and mention it like i said earlier like that person is present right there so that doesn't stop you it won't stop you from you know attempting to say hey why don't you get help? Why don't you, you know, start planting those seeds? Yeah. That's a perfect time. I think that's, you know, that was the most effective strategy for me when I worked out on the streets was to create relationships with the people that are out there rather than, because when we're doing, when we're not doing the right thing or doing what we know we should be doing, we know. But it's crazy because last night I spoke and that's what, like the gist of the message was like, you know, and I'll say it like the church's problem has always been pointing the fingers at people and telling them what they're doing wrong. And we never provided a solution. Mm. So we hide behind religiosity to prevent us from leaving these four walls. And we expect other people to pick up the burden when in reality it comes from the head. You know, the person that we're being discipled by or the person that we're sitting with, like our mentors and stuff, we become a product of them. So if they're not doing evangelistic 
doing the work of an evangelist. If they're not out there caring and, 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 and loving on the people, the most vulnerable in the community, mm-hmm. if they're not out there loving on people in different spect- uh, sectors of society, then why do they expect the people that are sitting in their congregation to do it? Because it comes from the top down. The anointing, like, right? Like, it, it comes from the top down. It's like me, like, my daughter's going to be doing what I do. Like, not necessarily everything, but, like, she'll be loving. She'll be giving. You know what I mean? Like, Kind of like, <clears throat> like how I always say, it's not what you say, it's the message that we receive. Yeah, so like last night, bro, as soon as I was done and I made the altar call, my daughter didn't have to be told to go grab some oil and start praying for these young people. My daughter's nine years old. And that touched my heart last night. And it actually convicted me because it was like, my daughter watches what I do. She doesn't do what I say. She, she does what I do. You know, and I'm there like to bless the people. But that's kind of what I spoke on is like, man, it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. Why would people want to change their lives if all we do is tell them the negative aspects of what they're doing? They already know. But it's like even, you know, like we, we can provide all this stuff, but until they know you care. They don't care how much you know. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Because, well, <clears throat> when, I, when I think back um, to my early years of, you know, going to treatment, I won't say recovery yet because I wasn't, I wasn't in it. Yeah. I wasn't in it to win it at the time. But. Be aggressive. Be be <laughs> aggressive. Dog, you got me into cheerleading mode now. <laughs> we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? But anyway, yeah, so going back to those early days of going to treatment, I remember listening to them and I'm thinking, okay, I know what you're saying is true, but what's that got to do with me? Yeah. Almost kind of a, a – because I – well, for one thing – um. Looking back, I know now that it, there was a cultural disconnect, right? Yeah. See, these non-natives were sharing this valuable information from their own cultural point of view. And I, I, I understood the concept, but I couldn't absorb it because yeah. our culture is different. The way, you know, you know I'm not going to say we're any better or any worse, but our culture is different. Yeah. And so I I understand now that, that that's where it came from. The disconnect. The disconnect. And so I think it just kind of goes in line to, you know, what, what you were saying earlier is that because of that disconnect, I couldn't fully um, join it or I guess, you know, go all in. Yeah. I couldn't fully There was commit, a barrier there. I couldn't fully commit myself because I didn't understand it from my own cultural point of view, the way that not only I was I was raised and how I grew up and where I grew up, 
but also the things that are still in our DNA, like, you know, that, that, that cultural memory, mm-hmm. things that are ingrained in us from time immemorial, from way back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the hugest barriers that we as indigenous people will face going out to non-native places and, and, and feeling alone, you know, like, I guess one good example would be, you know, smart kids from the, from the res will go off to college and struggle. Yeah. Because they don't feel like it's, you know, there's just that disconnection from everything around them. It's one thing to go like, say, you know, live around here in town, like and not on the res, but I know that, you know, I got you and I got Josiah and, yeah. you know, my family, they're right there. Like I can still have that connection, but if you go off into somewhere else, like what well, doesn't matter if it's college treatment, whatever, um, and you're by yourself, and, and there's no that that support system that we always have that we always carry, which is, starts with the family, yeah, and the community. Then I think that's where we start to get in trouble because we don't feel like we're part of the the circle, as it is said. Yes. And so I think that's where a lot of our um, our struggles, I think that's what they stem from. And I agree with that because I was in a conversation yesterday where the person's first language was Crow. And they were explaining to a non-native, like, hey, like, this is what I went through. Even though I am learned, I read things in Crow. You know what I mean? Like it, it yeah. may be in English, but I got to take my time because I'm, my it's, mind it's reads it. Crow. And you can read it in English and then. So I read it in English and then I the translate brain. it in Crow. Yeah. Okay. And then, then that's how they get, get it. But it, you're absolutely right because it, it even leads to our people out here, right? Like for so long, we've been taught by non-native society that their ways are better than ours. They've never tried to understand where we come from. Instead, they've always felt like Western society is better than. Like they know what's best for us. Absolutely. And it's like, we don't need that. We know what's best for us. We know what works for our people. It's like when I was building the team that we were building, like I wanted more representation of natives like and you look at any organization or government entity in the city of billings there is absolutely little to no native representation when really a lot of our population out here that deals with these types of services are native people you know and maybe that okay and i'm just gonna go off here but maybe there's that correlation right like we don't, we don't, we can't relate to these organizations, so therefore they don't work for us, and so therefore we're still out there. Yeah. But maybe the people that can relate to that are more successful, so we see less of them. Yeah. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I ain't a sociologist, a psychologist, or anything like that. But I, I feel play, like what I play one on TV. <laughs> but I feel like that's where society has gone. Is like saying, like, hey, we know what's better. So what they do is they take somebody. They gain all the knowledge from them, and then they dispose of that person once there's no longer a need. Which is like what I believe what what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and 
truth be told, they've been vilifying our culture and our traditional spiritual ways since they got here. Yeah. Since the colonial times, calling us heathens and savages and godless. And that, that's the thing is like they carried a Bible in one hand and they carried a gun in the other. Um, and I believe that was a bad misrepresentation of who we call Jesus Christ because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. But that part of society has never tried to understand where we are as natives. And if you ever think about it, any non-native that's lived on the reservation has always been respectful of our culture and has been respectful of where we come from as a people and has tried to understand to the best of their capabilities. That's why they have lasted so long in native culture. I don't know about you, but like in Lotchgrass, we had white people that lived there for years. They even got a native accent too. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I remember like one of my... um, (laughs) When I think about it, like back then, I used to think he was he was no good or he was strict or whatever. But when I think about it, like man, like he had a beautiful heart. Like he came from like Ohio, I believe. Like he came here and then he ended up just staying until he died. And but they his, <laughs> he had a nickname and his first nickname was Indian, you know, Bagosa Indian Joe. Yeah, and he would tie his ponytail in a buckskin. You know, like he really adopted them ways, but. Man, he understood, like, he learned the songs of the people, like, he learned the language, he, you know, and even now, like, I'm thinking about one of my college teachers, like, man, he came in, and he's always respectful, and, like, man, for me, I'm like, I look at that, and I'm like, dude, that means so much, because what I'm used to is seeing people come in and try to force their ways upon us. Like, hey, you need this and you need that. I don't know why you guys aren't succeeding. And it's like, no, like, we can succeed. We are bright, but there's this just this disconnect. And see, the, and the reason for that, I believe, is because they saw it firsthand. Yeah. They experienced it. They were right there with us. Um, and they saw us as human beings. Yeah. As humans. And so hold that thought. I want to read this next quote real quick. He, you know, the part that says, people change because they're loved on. People change because they're treated with dignity and respect. I'm a firm believer in that. Because they're loved on. And that is, I mean, that's so, it's so true. I mean, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, because early on, uh, when I was on state probation. Yeah. Man, I was in and out because I just kept on going. I kept using, kept drinking, kept doing all that stuff. Uh, jail wasn't a deterrent for me. Yeah. Like, I I didn't want to go, but I knew that at some point if I kept up what I was doing that I would, but that didn't stop me until, you know, then it came to a point where, like, I'm hurting the people around me. Like, I, my eyes were opened for whatever reason. Like, I think it's divine intervention. Uh, because you know, you, I prayed about it. Like, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to do this anymore. And then, you know, in God's time, something happened. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, you know, you have to change. Otherwise this punishment will happen. You have to stop doing what you're doing. Otherwise we're going to do this to you. Mm -hmm. Like is the carrot or the stick. And I don't think the stick is working. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. I'm just going to say that. I know it doesn't work. I've seen I've seen too much to know that I've seen too uh I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. Yeah. And and all that I know the fact that like a uh, you know jail um the threat of jail and the threat of punishment that it just ruins your life. It just makes your life what a uh, uh an already damaged person's life even more fucked up. Mm-hmm. It just that's all it does, right? And uh, and I chose this time. I chose to take every opportunity I could, even though a lot of them were few and far between, to learn and and gain knowledge and try to figure out, you know, what makes me tick. I took every opportunity. That was a personal choice, but it took me a long time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And I to this day, I don't I mean I. I know what drove me there because I was tired of hurting the people that I love, but there had to have been something else too. Right. Like, because I, I knew all that before mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want to hurt the people I love. I knew what I was doing was, was, wasn't good, but that alone, I don't think was enough to stop my addiction. There was something else in there, and for me, I strongly believe because I started with my spirituality first, and I, and I've said this before too, is that that is the foundation upon which my recovery is based on. Everything else mm-hmm. is based on that spiritual, and it, and it was the traditional ways. It was going back to how can I take what our ancestors left us. And utilize that today because I don't think those kind of things is gonna, are going to change over time, right? Like a, in a spiritual sense, a mm-hmm. hundred years ago, we didn't even have telephones. They had like telegraphs. A lot of places didn't even have. That. Now you go down the street, and every person you meet has a phone in their mm-hmm. pocket. I'm those kind of person. those those kind of things change. Yep. But this, like the physical world is going to change and the society is going to evolve, but the spiritual part will never change. I don't think that will ever be swayed one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let's, let's see what this guy has to say. Hello. Hello. You are live and in person with Unspoken Words. Hey, unspoken words. What's up to the unspoken words disciples? Yeah, we're <laughs> we're uh we're just getting into a little bit of we're just enjoying a little arts and crafts time right now. <laughs> we're in the arts and crafts portion of our show. <laughs> the arts and crafts portion, huh? And over here we have a bird. <laughs> <laughs> and Randy's- I was waiting for the other coach so I see his players walking up. Oh, so yeah, ready? we're waiting to check in right now. I was waiting for the other coach. I see the players walking up right now. Our players. Uh-huh. Where's your dad? Right there. What's up, boys? Hey, <laughs> oh, let me hang you. What up? What up? I heard you had to drive. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> Four hours? Hey, you so. This guy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all these players are not walking up, so. He's getting here, too. So, Mark. But yeah, we were just kicking back. We, what were we talking about? Is uh, we were almost we were basically up on that point where like 
People change because they're loved. Oh, yeah, yeah. People change because they're loved on. Um, people change because their loves do? Because they're loved on. You know, people love them. They show, they're show they shown love and kindness and empathy oh. and respect. That's why Kind of like what you say, like, you know, bringing the humanity back in the equation. Because what we were reading was this... Uh, the handout that you gave us about oh the, okay yeah the rivera and how he's saying like you know dignity and respect and it goes back to like what you say like he's putting the humanity back into the equation rather than treat these drug addicts and alcoholics as it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know um but he said people change because they're loved on people change because they're treated with dignity and respect we're giving people a safe space to start to see themselves differently and being able to engage with them while they're here utilizing our services is amazing. He just hung up on you. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I don't and know. And yeah. And yeah, well, good, well, good talk. Good talk <laughs> Thank you for your insight, Josiah yes. Hugs. Always profound. Maybe he just got a dropped call. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but um, maybe he didn't want to even... I don't know. Maybe he'll call back. Hopefully he calls back. But anyway... Um, I guess we could just begin to wrap it up. I'll call him back here in a second. But um, yeah, that that whole that whole thing that this guy's doing, I think it just it, it's that's the right way to go, because treating people like they're less than because of a, a, a disease, or you know, um, like how I said it earlier, you know, treating the symptom rather than the disease itself, or you know, uh, better yet. I'll put it this way, punishing the symptom yeah, or vilifying the symptom or driving that person out as an outcast because of that symptom and not addressing the actual problems yeah. that, these, that are the underlying issues. And, uh, you know, to, to provide that safe place, but also not to lose sight of the fact that there is that opportunity to get into their head, try to plant those seeds, try to say, hey, you don't need to do this. And I think it has it, that message goes a lot farther when you're, telling some, when you're showing somebody, mm-hmm. not telling somebody, showing somebody that you care about them, that they are human, that they are revalued. And, yeah. and, and you know, like, like you always say, trying to bring that gold out. Yeah. Pull that treasure out. Yeah. Because it's like, and I think that's like, I think that's the problem with our society. And the reason why a lot of these institutions were made was because of, you know, it was a way to make easy money. Yeah. Um, And it became about finances more than it did about providing services. Like we're not, I mean, granted, there are people that do need to be like villainized and stuff, but also like, I don't think like the average, um, addict or alcoholic is out there you know with bad intentions a lot of the time like i don't feel like i don't know what i'm trying to say i i hear i hear exactly what you're saying um it's like we're, we become so burdened by our hurts and our pains and we don't know how to cope with it so we end up using right and i think a lot of like the quote unquote bad things that we do are to keep using. Yeah. Right? Like it's to protect that addiction, to protect that only, the only safe space, and I'm using air quotes, the only safe place we know, we we think we have. 
Yep. Um, and I know that, you know, know now that that, that kind of thinking is a delusion anyway, yeah. but I have to speak in those terms because that's what, that's the reality for so many people. Like that's the only safe space they have. So they'll have to protect that. Yeah. But if we provide other safe places that have that harm reduction and that empathy and, and caring with it, then I think that goes a lot further than anything else. Yeah. Because it's just the old way doesn't work. I mean, not even the old way. There's people, I mean, that that's still the mindset of a lot of society is lock them up, you know, punish them. And then you get out, you still got the same problem. You're not making anybody safer. And it costs more to freaking house them in prison than it does to freaking offer treatment services. Yeah. And then not only that, like we do get these people to succeed, then they become productive members of society. Yep. But we just, and I've always said this, no no human being is disposable. That's one thing I learned in the last 10 years. There's no such thing as somebody who is disposable. We're not just going to throw you away. We're not just going to forget about you, put you in a box, in a cage, behind the razor wire, and say, you know what? You, you, you have no value yep. to us. You know what's crazy, bro? Like that bring that like what you're saying like brings me to a situation that's happening to one of my favorite artists, Boosie, who was out in San Diego, California on freaking May sixth or something, and he got caught with a gun, which it was against the law to have the gun. But this person was investigated because he was on a known gang member's IG live with a gun in his waistband. So what did the the freaking state of California do. Bro, they wanted this man so bad because a lot of what he speaks is truth. Like he speaks from his heart and, and from the outside looking in, my perspective is like he doesn't do it with bad intentions, but he believes like what he... He believes in certain things, right? Mm-hmm. But the state of California... And it it has to do with, like, traditional, you know, uh, like, men and women. Yeah. There's men and women. There's really nothing else. Like, for me, it's men and women. It always has been. Um, But he shares that same type of mind frame, right? And, bro, like, the state of California literally dispatched a freaking helicopter to the neighborhood that he was in. To catch this guy with a gun in his pants. Which is like, man, like he's not out there like freaking causing mayhem. He's not out there like causing trouble. Like that's a product of his lifestyle. And I'm not saying like, man, he's not going to like random people and just pointing a gun in, in people's faces. It's a form of protection in in, in in the environment that he lives in, right? Yeah, in the environment that he comes from. Right? Multi-millionaire. Businessman. Booming. But the government doesn't like what he says. So what do they do? They freaking dispatch a helicopter to go freaking get him there. And then the state ends up dropping the charges to which the feds open up and pick it up. That was the plan in the first place. They caught him with felon with a gun. The max sentence of that is 10 years. 
And it's like, dog, this guy is a businessman. He employs so many people. What is he doing that's so bad? How many other people have guns? So we take somebody like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse out there in freaking Kenosha, Wisconsin, and we deem him a hero for doing the exact same thing that Boosie's doing, carrying a gun. But the difference is one's black and one's white. Why is this white guy seen as a hero, but this black guy is seen as a villain? I'll wait. I don't expect nobody to answer. Hmm. It's more of a question that doesn't need an answer, but to ponder. Wasn't even trying to preach. Wasn't. Wow. That came from the diaphragm. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding, dog. (laughs) I'd like to see this diaphragm. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that was coming. I was in that. What's his name on the freaking group chat today? And he goes, yeah, I heard Vegas has a big one. I was like, yuck, how do you know Vegas has a big one? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) See what I got to deal with (laughs) But yeah That was a good topic I mean we think we had A lot of good discussion I mean that's one of those Ones that we could talk about All day Yeah All night All evening Uh, Man You know what Let's I'm going to go ahead And try to call this guy back We'll ask him how his trip is going Maybe he's in the middle of something I don't know But you can't just hang up on me Yeah I know Yeah Just call him and hang up And we'll we'll end the show Uh. (laughs) Paybacks and then hang up. <laughs> How do you like it? You don't hang up on me. I hang up on you, okay? And then hang up. Your call has oh. Oh. An automated voice message. His phone probably died. Could be. Yeah. Could be any number of things. Anyway, sure. I texted him and asked him what happened, but he didn't get back to me. So, oh, well, hopefully he doesn't get upset about that. But we were. Right in the middle of a really good discussion. I but And at the same time, it sounded like he was super busy anyway. Yeah, so. no, like, yeah. But, yeah, that was a good one. Um, NBA draft. Did you see uh, CP3 get traded? traded? Twice. Well, yeah, the first, well, the, it was, like, was going to be like a three-team trade anyway uh, because I don't think the goal was for, like, he's not going to take Washington. You know what I mean? They're not going to contend. I think they're more doing him a service. Well, and if you notice anything, it's um seems like Washington is really cleaning house. Yeah, like they're trying to bare bones it for now and then build again because they got rid of Bradley Beal, and then they get Chris Paul and then immediately trade him. But they got uh what's his face um pool. Yeah, they got a couple picks. I think uh, when you look at Golden State, like for me from the outside looking in. It's like, okay, Jordan Poole was the problem because you have this nucleus of uh, Draymond, uh, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. And, man, there were multiple times in the season like where Steph had to, like, remember? Like, he kind of puts Jordan in his place and tells him not to ignore Draymond. And then I think, like, with the interviews that Steve Kerr came on with, like, I think the problem in the Warriors locker room was Jordan Poole. Well, I, 
Come to find out, the reason why Draymond punched him in the face is because he was popping off at Steve Kerr. Yeah. Not and, that, and, you know, he, yeah. So I was talking about that earlier today with my supervisor. I was like, well, from what I hear, he's kind of uh, not a good teammate. Yeah. I didn't put it in so many words, but that's basically what I said. Yeah. And, and, uh, he was, his argument was, well, why would you, why would you trade, or why would you, um, want Chris Paul for Jordan Poole? Like, where's the, his, his, his argument was that wasn't an even trade. Yeah. Right. Because one's younger, he's got, you know, obviously he's a talented ball player. And uh, <laughs> what did you say earlier about that older couple with the bunker? <laughs> they're on a <laughs> down slope. <laughs> so there's Chris Paul. So his argument was, what, but, I, but what I was saying was, like, I'm pretty sure that it has to do with his, his behavior or his attitude. I don't know what you want to call it in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, and maybe it's just in that particular setting, or maybe it's because you know he saw a little bit of um, success before he got the bag, right? And then it kind of got to his head, like thinking, you know, I can I can be Steph Curry, mm-hmm. I can do this and I can do that, and I don't need you guys. You're gonna have to listen to me because this is my, you know, trying to. I don't know. I'm just kind of projecting here. No, I I think like he's not. I feel like he's not gonna be as good of a player in any other system. And so, so I mean, he thrived in that system because of because of the system. Yeah, because of the system, that's how he's able to thrive. I'll buy that. I mean, uh, I mean, and man, like the thing about right about now, this time of year is like you see all these trades and stuff going on, but we've seen it before, and we see the like on paper, oh, this team's gonna be dominant. Yeah. This team's gonna do this. They got these guys, this guy. But then it never hardly, it rarely ever works out like that. Like the ones, the Denver Nuggets won the championship. And they basically had the same unit, the same core. Yep. They didn't really make too many big, uh, trades. big trades. Not 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 the blockbuster type, anyway. That would what we would consider. Wow, can you believe so and so went to you know? So, I mean, there's something to be said about it. it. Seems good. It seems sometimes it seems like a good idea, but at the same time, you know, you got to know your you got to know your personnel. I I think mm-hmm. for any uh, organization to work and. That goes along with team sports. I, I think. I mean, I think you're absolutely right, bro. I think. I think, kind of to piggyback off of yours and, and Steve Kerr, it's like everybody has to buy into the system, and you can't have a David Ruffin if everybody's an equal part of the temptations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It goes back to that. Like you look at David Ruffin, man, as talented as he was. Remember in that part, he goes, "I'm David Ruffin, and these are the temptations." Like, bro, like he was disrespecting the rest of the group when he never even started the group. <laughs> like they actually brought him into the fold and they already tasted success before him. Or like, you know what I mean? They're, they were already on their way. And yeah. then when he came, like it just boom, like, you know, exploded. But like, that's the kind of thing, like from the outside looking in, what I get from the Warriors situation is like Jordan Poole, who is a good basketball player, had a, had a, had a good seat, great season the previous year, but he gets a little too big for his britches thinking that he's better than Steph Curry. But what we don't realize, bro, like these guys set for years. Like Steph was in the league since like what, 08, 09, and then really didn't pop off till about 12. Mm -hmm. Like this organization was built from the ground up. 
And I think it's freaking amazing to see. And I think what the Warriors are doing by trading Jordan Poole away is first they're they're saving some room from the salary cap, but they're also getting rid of the problem in the locker room. Because Draymond is a valuable member of that team. Probably the backbone that I would say that they get their identity from Draymond, their toughness, you know, their ability to get in there and scrap it out with anybody mm-hmm. comes from Draymond. He may not be your statistical category leader, but he does a lot of the unsung hero type stuff. The one that motivates, the one that brings everybody back in the line, the one if you're caught slacking like, hey, man, let's go. Which is just as important as somebody who's your top scorer, top defender, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coach that's on the freaking floor, basically. So, you heard it here first, folks. Yes. Well, that kind of concludes our uh, NBA portion of the episode. But, um, yeah. yeah so, uh, now we're going to go to the news portion of unspoken words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Eh? <laughs> this just in breaking news. I haven't used that one in a while. <laughs> that was cool, eh? <laughs> I haven't used that one in a while. But yes, thank you guys, all of our listeners all over a very round and spherical earth. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. You know, you guys are the most important part. Our listeners, this is all for you. And uh, we appreciate you. We love you. Um, please, please, please uh, like, subscribe, hit that Hit the oh there he goes there he goes that's our guy never mind we're not gonna sign off. Hello, are you guys still recording? We were just about to sign off, but you cut me off. How may I help you, sir? <laughs> no, it was just uh, we were just about to stop, and then I tried to call you back, and then <clears> I was like, well, hopefully he calls back. But then yeah, here you are. So yeah. Hey, oh. yeah. Sorry about that. Shoot, son of a gun. Son of a gun. <laughs> yeah. There's- it's hot down here. Woo. But I, I like this kind of heat, this dry heat. It's that humidity, y'all. It's that humidity that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Make sure you stay hydrated. Oh, yeah, for sure. So where, 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 did, where are you at? Or what are you doing sports, right now? Sports Legacy Plex. We just checked in our team. Um, and so... I wasn't hearing from them, so I thought it was going to be a while before they showed up. So, but as soon as I called you, they came walking around the corner. Ah. Yeah, Tyson. Govant brought some boys up. He brought six boys. And uh, me, Billy, another boy, we flew down this morning. There's like, let me see, four Montana teams down here. There's us. There's another 7th and 8th grade team from urban native kids, all different tribes on that team. And then there's a 5th and 6th grade Northern Cheyenne team. There's a freshman, sophomore, um, native team, all from the Bowings area. Somewhere, some flew down, some drove down. But we all here now ready to represent 
The 406, baby. 406. Well, so when do you guys start playing? Tomorrow. Oh. So we got three pool play games. Uh, all the teams will play two games tomorrow. Uh, the war party that the team Billy's on. War party we play at 9 and at 6 p.m. And then another pool play game on Saturday at 11.45. And then from there, as soon as all the pool play games are done, then we come back in the evening and start the brackets. So each division, boys and girls, gets a silver and a gold bracket. So depending on your record, you're either going to the silver or gold brackets, and then you battle it out. Loser, winner, go home. Winner, go home. That, okay. So four game guaranteed. Uh, it's cool though, man. Um, exciting. How? Yeah, man. That's that's pretty nice, man. What part of Mesa are you guys in? Uh, over here towards Gilbert. Okay, Gilbert. Uh, right next to the Interstate 202, I think it is. The 202 right. loop. Yeah, yeah. We had to jump on that to get over here. There's like nothing over here except for this sports legacy plex. Yeah. There's like sports bars, man. There's like where we're playing and just in that section, there's 16 basketball courts. Oh, wow. Like all just right next to each other. Wow. Um, Outside? No, inside. Oh, okay. And then right next to that, I've seen there's like all these volleyball courts. And then on the other side of that, where I'm at right now, where I'm sitting on just outside, there's like all these sports bars. What street arcade. are you on? Oh, shoot. Ellsworth or something like that. Okay. Elm Street. Yeah. Nightmare I, on Elm Street. I used to live on Southern over there, 960 Southern Avenue um, in oh, okay. Mesa. But we were right next to like Gilbert and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and then okay. right off the 202, there's like the, I don't know if it's still there, but there's like a, a water park there. Oh, yeah, I think that's just a little bit of a ways from here. I think we passed it. I don't know. I was driving when we were on the 202, so I was flying, trying to weave through traffic, get over here to the right side so I could get on his exit. So I wasn't really looking around. Yeah, no, I feel it, bro. That's cool, man. You gotta go. You gotta stop by Filiberto's and get a carne asada burrito. Hey man, that's all I'm talking about. Dog, Welcome they were uh, yeah. Uh, Filiberto's is one of the one of my favorites over there. Like I used to get so that I think it was a number ten over there, but it was two carne asada burritos, and I could always finish one. But the reason why I got that one was because it would feed me the next day too. Hell uh, yeah, breakfast. Because I was Lunch. a broke college student, bro. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> was like. The guy that probably named it after you know there's the Randy over here. <laughs> That's crazy. Number two, Randy special, <laughs> two carne asadas. <laughs> carne asada burrito. <laughs> With commodity cheese. Yeah, come on. It has to be commodity cheese, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the best. Yeah. So uh, how's it going over there? You guys got everything situated? Situated. We're kind of on our way. Uh yeah, we were just now signing off, and then you called back, so. Oh, yeah, right on. Would you like to? Yeah, man. Would you like to do the sign-off when you're, yes. you're ready? Or is there any other? <laughs> is there any other? So, good, did you guys have any? Do you have anything burning? Do you got anything burning? 
the sides of your forehead. Man, my toes are burning right now in this 104 degree weather. <laughs> wait, till, wait till you hit that ar- carne asada burrito. Wait till you get that Randy special. It's hot now, but it'll burn you later. <laughs> you might beat the rap, but you won't beat the ride. <laughs> Uh, no, man, I appreciate you guys holding it down, definitely, for sure, man. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> no, man, I'm just excited, you know. Yeah, yeah. Unspoken words, man. We're we're getting going, and we got some opportunities coming up, and I'm just excited being down here, too, Mesa and these basketball teams. Yeah, all our listeners out there be definitely praying for these, these 406 athletes down here. Man, I'm I'll be watching games all day tomorrow, all morning. Heck yeah. They, they, these, I was looking at the schedule, and these 406 teams are, like, staggered. So, like, we go, we play at 9, another team plays at 945, another, play, another team plays at 11, another team plays at 1. So I'm just going to be like, boom, boom, boom. I probably won't have a voice by 2 p.m. tomorrow. I'll be <laughs> cheering on all these 406 native teams down here. Tribe experience. There's 266 native teams down there from all over the country. Come on, come on. Divisions from fourth grade all the way to seniors in high school, and it's from this past school year. So, like, there's seniors that graduated that are down here playing too. Is their last like hoorah? And there's like Baller TV is like broadcasting all the games. Um. There's scouts down here, college scouts, D1, D2, D3, NAIA scouts down here. Let's There's go. some even like bigger name schools, like watching on Baller TV. So this is just really like this John Yarrow, shout out to him. He put this together to showcase native ballers. Come on. So I was like, hell yeah, man. This is awesome. And just being down here in this atmosphere, it's awesome, man. Yeah. So it's pretty cool, man. Hey, unspoken words got a trip down here, coming down here in September. So, yes, sir. I'm trying to get the lay of the land, but I'm way over here on the the east side of town. Yeah, we're uh, where Roby is, like way farther, but we can probably like ride like the light rail or catch an Uber, man, and check stuff out. Heck yeah. Yeah, bro. We're no, going. It's all good. So yeah, there's this some, other joint that I want to... Save some burrito for the rest of us. Yeah, there's this other <laughs> joint. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it, it is a, like a bar, but the food is phenomenal. It's called RTO Sullivan's. I don't know if it's still there. Um, I have to check it out. I'll Google it. Yeah, Google it and see if they... Man, their burgers are freaking amazing, bro. Or they were when I was there, you know? So. Oh, yeah, they're probably still on point. Yeah. Hey, we we got off the plane. We went to our Airbnb today, and then we went to Golden Corral. Come on, what's that? I was like, hell yeah! <laughs> Did you get the meatloaf? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, they had like a lunch menu. I was like, what? They got a lunch menu here? They got a lunch buffet. All kinds yeah. of cold cuts. Yeah, I'll cut that. Burgers, dogs. <laughs> Went to Golden Corral and made a bologna sandwich. You know, all the you know, all over those dogs. <laughs> Without the bun. Without the I, bun. I got the bun. <laughs> Just once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Slap it in your mouth. I'm still <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, that's cool, man. I'm glad you get to experience that, bro. It makes me want to check it out next year. Oh yeah, man. Even just coming down, checking out games, man, that'd be awesome, bro. That would be dope, man. Yeah, that would be dope. Uh, see yeah, what kind of see what kind of setup man, Baller TV has. Yeah, you, you go over there, just check out their website. Yeah, check I got some games. So we play at nine tomorrow. Or these boys play at nine tomorrow. And it was nine, uh, War Party? Six War Party, yep. Okay. okay. Seventh, I, eighth grade boys. Arizona don't change. Are they on Pacific time or are they on mountain time right now? No, they're on mountain right now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so it'll be nine o'clock here, man. I'm going to watch that tomorrow. I don't think I have anything in the morning. Yeah. All right, I got to bounce, boys. You guys can go ahead and do the sign off, and then I'll check out the episode here in a little bit. All okay. right, well, thanks for calling back, man. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Love you guys, and have a good stay cool over there, man. It's going to be like 111 over here on Saturday. Oh, man, drink water, bro. Drink lots of water. Yeah, sure. Make, make sure water. you get some ice cream with that burrito. Yeah. Help stick things together, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, peace out. Yeah, right, later, later, man. Oh, man, I'm glad he called back. Yeah, no, man, that's cool, bro. Like, just him explaining all that makes me want to even, like, want to experience that, bro. That's cool, man. Good luck. Good luck to them, man, and bring us back some hard work. Yes, sir. Well, now we can officially sign off. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, you know, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, follow us on Podbean. Podbean, that really, really helps us out. I know you guys follow us on some other platforms, but if you could get over to Podbean, start following us, that really, really helps us out. Um, But, hey, However you want to listen, however you want to get into this uh, circle, you know, more power to you. We thank you guys for listening. We love you. And that's all we got, yo. Peace out. Deuces. Now sit back, relax, and listen to some real talk.